I try to have, I try to have, personally, I try to have those old moments every day, man. Like, oh, that's something I never thought about. Oh, that's something, you know what I'm saying? Like, I try to be a constant learner. Like, that's one of my, like, I'm a low-key nerd on, on or maybe ain't even low-key anymore, but go ahead. Yeah. Hello world, this is Detroit Beast Bethea with the Redefine Print Podcast. This is episode three. This episode is on branding with branding expert Sean Brewerton at the Brewerton House. So please go follow him all places social media at the Brewerton House. He's worked with everyone uh, from Microsoft to Adidas to Under Armour to Neiman Marcus. Um, he names drops a lot of names. Um, that he's worked with. Um, I think I kept it in there, but if not, I'll definitely uh, put who he's worked with in the description. And as always, please uh, like, rate, and review. Let me know what I'm doing right. Let me know what I'm doing wrong. I hope you enjoy. Peace. Okay, give them a little bit of uh, background information. Where you from? How you got the what you doing and all that other good stuff. Yeah, so I'm from Patterson, New Jersey. You know, born and raised. Been around here all my life. You know what I'm saying? I'm doing a little bit better than I was back then. So, you know what I'm saying? I'm a little uh, removed from, you know, the stuff uh, that I was in when I was younger. Um, but... All that being said, Patterson, New Jersey. Um, got my start in, I started out in the music industry, uh, doing music management for an independent management company. Uh, we managed a few artists. Uh, nobody actually got signed. Uh, a few of them came close, but I'm sure if you know we're working with artists, man, like they, it's kind of the, you know, the reason for their own fate when it came to that. We did everything we needed to do, you know what I'm saying? And for the most part, they did too. But the end result was, you know, nobody got signed. So, you know, it was what it was. But uh, working in the music industry doing management, you know, we, we formed a lot of different uh, relationships, you know, not only with people from record labels, but uh, different brands and different uh, areas of entertainment. Um, got into sports a little bit, which kind of led to my next thing after music management. A partner and I had started 
company called Ball Out Media Group, um, where my our first clients were actually uh, friends of mine, people that you know I, I grew up with um, in the city of Patterson that happened to make it to the NFL. Um, shout out to the homie Mike Adams. Oh, um, uh, you represented Mike Adams? I didn't know that. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah man. That was uh, that was our first client. Uh, him. And uh, Gerald Hayes, who was with the Arizona Cardinals at the time, um, and also Marcel Ship. Um, oh, word. What we did for them, yeah, yeah. Uh, what we did for them uh, was they started uh, foundations, a uh, nonprofit organization. So we were doing uh, the marketing and PR, you know, for their first uh, football camp, which is how it got started. So, um, you know, from that. You know, we just kind of took that and parlayed, you know what I'm saying? We, we made connections with different people and, you know, just kind of grew the business like it should be growing uh, in that area of sports. And, you know, our next client, I think, was um, uh, a pro team, ABA team, uh, Jersey Express. Um, you know, my homegirl, Marsha Blunt, is the uh, owner of the Jersey Express. She gave us a shot, too. Um, but yeah, you know, we just made the most of whatever opportunities we had and the relationships that we had, and it just kind of grew. And then, you know, natural progression sort of took over um, once uh, my partner uh, went to grad school. Oh, who's your um, partner? Or is he still your partner? Uh, well, actually, yeah, but in a different uh, company. Um, okay. And you know, before that though, uh, he went to grad school. Uh, to kind of pursue a different area altogether because he had worked in, you know, public relations pretty much, you know, since graduating college. And he just wanted to kind of turn, you know, he saw the tech wave, you know, kind of about to hit. So he got into uh, social media management and for about, you know, a full year, I was pretty much holding down the company, you know, just me uh, while he was in grad school. So um, we didn't part ways on the disturbing side, we, you know, pretty good because we actually really good friends, you know, more like brothers and all that. So, um, with all that happening, he just took on another direction in terms of, you know, what he wanted to do professionally. So, we kind of, uh, you know, dissolved the company. Um, then it kind of took me uh, a little while to um, figure out what my next steps was. So, I was doing, like, little projects freelance stuff here and there, um, and just got around a couple people, and they were just kind of like, yo, you know, I see you into this branding and marketing thing, and, like, I'm hearing it a lot, um, and then a mentor, uh, guy that you know, by the name of Mike Williams, was just kind of like, yo, you, you already doing what the next steps are for you, you know, professionally, so it just kind of a natural progression happened you know, with all the relationships that I built and all the moves that I was making and the projects that I was working on has led me to, you know, start the brand consulting company, The Brew Engine House. Yeah. Like, what is a brand exactly? Because, I mean, it's been used a lot, but I don't know if people actually know what it really, really means to be a brand because everybody claims they're a brand. So just start with that. Like, like, like what is a brand, actually? Yeah, man. 
what I'm saying? Because people do use that term rather loosely. Um, and a brand could essentially be, you know, it's almost like a noun. You know, a person, place, a thing type thing. But it's all-encompassing of different elements of what, you know, that person, place, or thing, you know, whether it be the business itself, uh, a product or service. So in layman's terms, how I usually explain um, what a brand is to people is I kind of give them something that they're familiar with, like, say, a McDonald's. And, you know, and just give them insight on something as simple as, you know, something like brand recognition, right? So the self is, is broad, you know what I mean? Like I said, almost like a now person plays a thing kind of thing. So with McDonald's, if you're talking about something, and remember I said it's all encompassing of what, you know, the different elements are of that person, place, or thing. So brand recognition is seeing that golden arch and knowing what that represents, right? So that's what people most notably, you know, associate a brand with, is what they can see, what they can recognize, what they, you know, initially relate to. And not knowing that all of that is still just one of the byproducts of what totally incorporates a brand. So we all know that McDonald's isn't just the Golden Arches. When you think about their fries, their burgers, clown, colors, all those things make up a brand. So you got to kind of have the mentality of to understand what a brand is, you have to understand what these different elements are that contribute to being an actual brand. Because you can't just make a t-shirt uh, with a logo on it and say, you know, this is my brand. And once people say, okay, like, what is your brand? What are you going to do, show them the logo? Yeah. Or are you going to give them some kind of in-depth story about all the different elements that create what that logo came into. So there was a thought process behind it. There was conversations like, you know, what can I do? I want to start a t-shirt company, but how are people going to recognize me? How are people going to think that I'm different from, you know, a FUBU t-shirt, you know what I'm saying, or from a Nordica shirt, from all these different established brands. I think that's where most of the misconception comes is because they see brands that are already established. So they jump to the conclusion of skipping over a bunch of steps that sort of help them build what their brand is going to be to automatically putting certain pieces together and saying, here, here's my brand. Now it's up to you to like it. But you've got to kind of have those smaller elements broken down to people to understand, you know, what a brand is. So if somebody, for example, showed me uh, their company, their product, or their service, and I asked them, you know, 
on what is your brand. Most of them, like for example, like oh, we do uh, massages. Okay. Like a lot of people do massages, but what doing massages makes up your brand? Like, do you offer facials? Do you do you know one-on-one consultations? Do you go to people's homes? Like, what what is the substance of the brand? And that's more what the question is as opposed to what is a brand. Gotcha. And it's more what is the substance of the thing that you're trying to create into a brand. Because we all look at visuals like logos, colors, you know, things that get your attention. But for me, it's more about the story. Yeah, so story, story sells, basically. Right. The story of how you got to where you are to be able to come up with this concept of what you want to be, you know, a brand. So it, it is definitely a broad conversation to have. Like most people look to simplify it by giving you some sort of quote-unquote Webster's Dictionary version of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, uh, working in and working for, working with different uh, well-known brands, um, I know that it's a lot more than that. So like if people want to simplify it and break it down and say, hey, a brand is this, and they give you the dictionary version of it, cool. You know, that's your way of seeing it. Mm-hmm. And that's not wrong. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's not a, a wrong thing to say to somebody. But for me, when I look at brands like Ford, Wells Fargo, Heinz Ketchup, like, you know what I mean? Like, those are things that have been established, you know, and Wells Fargo been around since, like, what, the 1800s? Yeah. Yes, sir. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. like, and there's a story behind what these brands are. You know what I'm saying? Like, but now with our microwave society, we jumping to what Amazon looks like now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But but really fail to dive into what the story was behind it. You know what I'm saying? Finding a need to fill a void. You know, to really grow into what these things are. So, um, you know, I look at the, the bigger picture for a lot of stuff. I'm into longevity. Yes, because it's, it's a long-term money. Like, um, I think one of my, um, well, I don't think, one of my favorite brands is um, Ralph Lauren. I talked about this on um previous podcast. I don't know if that, which one is going to come out first, this one or that one. But um, is like, when you think of, 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 because people probably can't even articulate exactly what a brand represents, but they know subconsciously what it represents. So like, like so for example, like Ralph Lauren, although he, you know, he had, you know, was the the low lives and all that stuff that was going on that started on New York, and low kid was it was going on in Atlanta at the same time. But that's another conversation for another podcast. But um, you know, New York, especially Brooklyn cats, they like to take credit for everything but that, that that's another conversation for another podcast too but it's like he he i think he started i think he started in 1969 if i'm not if i'm not mistaken just selling ties yeah yeah his brand like you know i didn't realize this coming up but his brand really represents aspiration it represents um 
wasp, like white Anglo-Saxon Protestant values in a lot of ways. Like so, like you know, obviously he has like his his, his sport. He's broken off, but his core is he's gonna give you like the classic stuff that you can wear forever, basically. Like that's what his core. Like no matter what, you're always gonna be able to find the red polo shirt with the blue horse on it. No matter what, no matter what is going on with what he's doing, whether it's the paint or or the you know the the polo sport line that he just recently brought back, or with the double RL or the the purple label, like no matter what, all those brand, all those extensions of what his his quote unquote brand is, he's definitely gonna give you the classics like the the red polo shirt with the blue horse. Like you always gonna be able to find that. So it's like, you know, like in the story, like now that social media is around, like you can see that he's really building out like the storyline with the, with the, with his marketing. I mean, he always been doing it, but you definitely see it now. Like he's really just really, really like, it's all about being like classic American white Anglo-Saxon values. And I know like those terms might even be, uh, be, uh, 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 um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, triggering nowadays. But that's, yeah, because, you know, everything is triggering. But, you know, that's really what his brand represents. And it's like, you know, my polo collection is crazy, but I know it's a, it's a whole wave on Instagram of people that, you know, the low lives and the low heads and all that type of stuff. But, I mean, he, I think that's one of, like, that's a great, I mean, all these companies that last are, are great brands. That's why they lasted so long. But, like, that's one of my favorite in this story. It's like, like, although I didn't, I couldn't articulate that back in the day. Like, I definitely can articulate that now. Like, that's what he represents. Sure. So that's, that goes along with the story. Yeah. Man, like, they have that story. Like, the, the high, like, I would encourage people to research the Heinz ketchup story and know how they didn't start out as ketchup. Mmm. That sounds like the Marlboro Man story. Well, go to, yeah. <laughs> Understand what the fifty-seven on the bottle means. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. there's there's significance in making, and like you said, it, it takes time. You know what I'm saying? Like that that's all things that you have to build into. Like, and you you hit your lumps, you hit your growing pains, and you know what I'm saying? Like, even like researching a company like Fubu. You know what I'm saying? Like, those are people that are connected. And shout out to my man Jay Alexander. You know what I'm saying? And, like, he, you know, like, he, he dropped some jewels on me one day that was just, you know what I'm saying? They, they, they were blowing my mind. But to know, you know what I'm saying, that there's people recent, you know what I'm saying, who you could look at and, and sort of build how they got to, you know, where they are. Like, people wouldn't look at it or associate this. And, like, at the time, this was probably, I want to say, about three years ago. Jay Alexander told me that... Who's Jay Alexander, for people that don't know? Well, Jay Alexander is one of the co-founders for the brand Fubu. Okay. Extremely big, uh, you know, mid, late 90s, you know, kind of early 2000s also. Um, but he, he asked me, he was like, who do you think is the number one uh, tuxedo rental in the world? Spots, and you're looking through the tuxedos, and you see the Ralph Lauren, see the 
Tommy Hilfiger, Liz Claiborne, saying all these people. And he was like, if you get those, then you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, what you mean? Mm-hmm. He was like, that's, you know, the pictures in these catalogs would lead you to believe that. Mm-hmm. But FUBU. FUBU was the number one tuxedo rental Word? That's crazy. Because one, their overseas market was, you know, crazy. Like mm-hmm. once it hit big here, it just kind of took off overseas and that was just something different. But we are talking about tuxedo rentals, mm-hmm. right? So for the most part, you know, and, and like I don't want to like sound like I'm speaking, you know, sort of irregular to something like classic but that's kind of in a sense what it is right so you get these high you know ballroom events where you know some white people would they would buy their tuxedos mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying like they ain't really renting yeah. nothing so yeah. we're talking more you know palm stuff and all that uh huh wasn't really too familiar with Liz Claiborne, Ralph Lauren, only because they saw it in these catalogs. Mm-hmm. Once they saw something like Fubu, for people who look like us, uh-huh. it takes off. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? So there, there's, you know, there's a relative thought behind, like, yo, this, this actually makes sense. Now, I got to, you know, full disclaimer, I don't know what those numbers look like today. Okay. Yeah, I didn't even I know Fubu made... Um tuxedos honestly I mean, yeah, and, yeah. and like it kind of threw me off because it was like you know why is he asking me about tuxedo rentals like mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying but then one day I was watching TV and I was watching an old cheaters episode and there was like a like a formal party where dude had on <laughs> a fubu rented tux mm. So I start thinking about the marketplace mm-hmm. for it. And I'm like, yo, there's probably a whole bundle of people in Mobile, Alabama, that that's all they're getting. Gotcha. Google Tuxes. Tuxes. You know what I'm saying? And that's just, as an example, I can't speak, you know, matter of fact, it's that, but just thinking about that whole conversation that we had and then him giving you know the the total uh, global sales for FUBU and all that I'm like yo like they still to me seem underrated yeah yeah FUBU was um yeah because I think you know you know probably why I'm just only uh, speaking like generalities generalities about why that probably happened because like we kind of take certain things. We we kind of take the global market for granted in many ways. So like we think like just because it's not hot in our immediate area, that it's not hot every place else. Like I I didn't realize Fubu was that huge until much later on after it was like quote unquote not hot in our community. You know what I'm saying? Like and that's when I started realizing like yo they was doing um. They were doing crazy numbers in sales. And I remember, like, um, 
when I interned for Big Dog Films, which was a Hype Williams company at the time, he he's the director from um that did Belly, and he was like, I ain't telling this for you, but you know for the listeners, like he's one of the top, he was one of the top uh video directors, period, in like the mid to late nineties. One of them, one of them was his boys, I believe. I don't know which one, or maybe all of them. I don't know which one exactly was um. Yeah, cause they all from Queens. Yeah, so I don't know which one, but they came to the they came to the office a couple times, and he was doing like some joint project with them. I think he ended up doing like um, I know he directed a couple of their videos when they released their little album yeah, thing. I was gonna say like did yeah. he do the Fatty Girl? Fatty Girl video, yeah, he did the Fatty Girl video. He did the Fatty Girl video, and um. Um, and I, I think they were supposed to do some other business, but I, I can't speak on that man business because I was just an intern. So, but I think the work, yeah, the word on the street was he was doing. They were supposed to do other things together, but you know who knows if those things ever came to fruition. But I remember like you know because I I never just full disclosure I never really liked Fubu like that because I thought like because they first go back to Brandon you know what I'm saying like three sixty conversation like they first um entry into the market was the, the, the shirts with the FB. And I just really, I mean, I think that's the first thing that I, I would, it came with my radio and I, my radio, my radar. And I really just wasn't feeling like the FB logo. And then they had the football jerseys was huge. Like they all had the same number, like 05, which is different colorways, which now in hindsight, like, yo, they don't got to sell to me. Cause I don't, you know what I'm saying? I'm one of, Billion, seven billion people in the in the world, you know what I'm saying? So I don't have to like it. So I never really, really got super into the Fubu thing. But yeah, man, they they was huge and they branding like the for us by us is that brand tagline is crazy. And the biggest the biggest coup to me was when they did like the whole when they had LL do the uh, for us by us rap in the Gap commercial with a Fubu hat. That was crazy. person removed from launching your business and brand into the stratosphere. And that's what LL did for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he had it on him in every video he did. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. he promoted it. And, and I don't think he ever asked for equity in the company. I thought he supposed to have 1% equity. I don't know, though. I've never I seen any paperwork. Hear what I said? Huh? Oh, he didn't ask for it. They gave it to him. No, like, well, yeah, like, oh, I, right. I, you know, I, I've heard stories that he, he didn't ask. Like, they, you know what I'm saying? They did the right thing, essentially. Oh, okay. Um, they did the stand-up that, thing. That, yeah. That's just me speaking to, you know, business etiquette. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you got to kind of, like, if somebody's going to do something for you, like, you can't just turn around and be like, yo, thanks, I appreciate it. Like, you don't know how much it means. Like, well, show how much it means. Oh, there's business etiquette for... The listeners, that's the conversation we was having before I pushed the record button on this joint. So yeah, so but we ain't getting into that. Another podcast we're gonna do more. We ain't getting into that later. But um, so I dig dig in with the because this is read the fine print, right? So what is like like the uh the fine print that nobody talks about when it comes to brand building from your from your perspective experience? Wow, 
lot of different ways of reaching it, but, you know, the fine print that people don't necessarily read coming in is, like, they, most people underestimate, and this might sound a little bit corny and cliche, but they underestimate the legal aspects of it. Got you. So that goes into our, our event, which you want to plug. I'll plug before or after this um, podcast. I don't know when I'm going to plug it, but go ahead. Speak on it more. I'm a lawyer, so I already know. But go ahead. Like they, they really underestimate the legal aspects of it uh, in terms of, again, it's, it's kind of broad, but to sort of simplify it a little bit. One, aspect falls into actually registering the business. Okay. Like that that's one part of it. You know, from a legal standpoint. Right? Mm-hmm. Like so just think of, you know, all these charities that raise money but don't have a five oh one C three. Uh huh. Right? Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah, like how do you really write that off as a donation? Uh huh. Um if you're not a registered Mm-hmm. Uh, but speaking in terms of you know a normal business uh, LLP LLC C corp uh, S corp corporation uh, you know the legal part of registering your business um, one it gives you the sense of like I really did it like I'm really looking forward to being a business owner part of it is important because if somebody came to me and said okay uh, I'm a photographer right and like you get your freelance people don't get me wrong but I'm speaking to the people that tout having a business of it Mm -hmm. right like they got the name their little fancy logos and they're all over social media talking about their business this their business that Um, still working a 9 to 5 like not that there's anything wrong with that but if you're going to speak to the business part of it, right? Now, there are people like me who own a business that, you know, cash ain't king in every way. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, so if I'm paying for a service, I want to document it. Since mm-hmm. I have, like, if we, neither one of us have a registered business school, but I do. Mm-hmm. And the benefits that you get from being a legal, legit company, you know, a lot of times far outweigh just like, yo, here, take this $50 cash and, you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. But being able to say, like, I, you know, I have a photography business, hire my photography company to shoot your event. And I'm like, all right, cool. Who do I make the checkout to or, you know, make the payment to? Um, cash at me. What? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, the least you could do is say, you know, sell it to my business account. Mm-hmm. Right? Because that's where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if you have a registered business, you'll understand that you'll need certain things in place, like a business bank account, mm-hmm. um, to be able to operate in terms of, like, because people like me come with Fortune 500 companies mm-hmm. that I work with. Mm-hmm. So, they have to cross their T's and dot their I's. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So if it's like, oh, I, 
we're going to pay the Brewington house, but we also have to pay B&M Photography. Mm-hmm. But how do we do that? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I don't want to run into that situation where they're looking at me like, well, hey, Sean, um, you know, we have you allotted for this much, and then them for this much. How come we can't, you know, pay accordingly? So, uh, but in a nutshell, we're just, you know, they, they, I guess for the most part because they don't understand it because they think it's scary to talk legal mm-hmm. in terms of the business. But, you know, going into it, the, the fine print, and that's funny because we're talking about legal stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but that goes into also, like, if you have a business partner, um, you need an operating agreement, you know what I'm saying, between the partners and, like, making sure everything is established because anything can happen. One day you start a business, the next day one of the partners die. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, so mm-hmm. now your families are fighting over, you know, whatever assets, however big or small, um, you know, things can get messy. So you just kind of want to uh, don't underestimate the legal parts of it. The mm-hmm. legal stuff leads into stuff like uh, trademarking and service marketing. Again, all stuff that we'll, you know, talk about at the event and all that, but long story short is they you know they they, they fail to read the fine print on you know, making sure the legal aspects of having a business are you know intact got you alright so yeah that, that that goes into my my thing like so you know um, going into the event we like you know we're gonna plug that later but yeah like I'm glad you spoke on like the uh I'm glad to hear from somebody that's not a lawyer. Like, yo, know, you need to operate an agreement. You know what I'm saying? Like, you need, and even more important than the operating agreement, you need some type of agreement with your spouse, your family, your loved ones, really. And that agreement is really like a will for the most part. But also, they need to know, like, okay, that if you're investing ten thousand of the family's income or savings into this business that they don't necessarily, they as a family don't necessarily become a partner in that business. It's just you as an individual in that business. So if you die, what happens to that? You might get to, you might or may not get to the, the, the money back. It all depends on profits, operating agreement, how you form the company, how you, how, if you're doing shares, the S Corp and all that good stuff, that all comes into play. And a lot of times people skim on the legal fees and then get themselves jammed up later on. So I'm, I'm glad you I'm glad you said it, and it, it came from you and not the lawyer, because I didn't tell you to say that. You know what I'm saying? That was like a, yeah, that was a real deal, you know, response to to the question. Um, and what what like, also just like um like what's the um some of the fine print when it comes to like actual like when people come to you, like say people say I'm coming to you. And like all I just really just have is like, like the idea. Like I know like some some of the legal stuff is like talk about like something like a, um because the brand is the story, right? So it's much more than the logo. The logo, personally, you know, I think a lot of people get caught up on the logos in a lot of ways. Like the logo, not not to say I don't know what people are gonna say in the comments. Like a logo is not important, but a logo is not important until it's important. If that makes sense. Like, you know, like, who cares what the Wells Fargo logo is, but you know what Wells Fargo's story is. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's more the colors, the little simple logo, which is not even 
they really they got the trademark on that, but the other logo was something crazy that people probably don't even really realize like that's really the official trademark. But another one of the official trademarks, but they don't they only familiar with you know what I'm saying the Wells Fargo Red joint. You know what I mean? Right. So my question was or is like as far as like um what are some of the hangups like that you see or not hangups like or more so like what do people have twisted about building a brand? I don't know if you answered that question or not. And another I think you may have, but I'm just asking you more directly. financial mm, talk about that um because i when i was coming up right i heard a lot of people you know like when they want you to step out on faith right start the business yeah you can start it but if we go back to what i talked about about the legal aspects of it it's gonna cost you a little bit of money mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying uh about 125 dollars 150 dollars Mm-hmm. I think they raised the price a little bit. Yeah, the file. Yeah, it's like 150 something the file from New Jersey anyway. So, so yeah, it's going to cost you at least $150 to file to have your business. Mm-hmm. So at the very least, you'll be spending that. So when people used to say, like, hey, you know, start the business, whatever, like, it, it doesn't... Um, and some people would even say it doesn't take money to start a business, which is in some ways true because if you're not registering it, then, you know, you're making cupcakes out your house and you're building your business that way, I get it. Mm-hmm. But, and I would say, I I would even go to the lips of saying I agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. But what they leave out is, okay, it may not cost you money to start the business, but it's going to cost you money to run one. Mm-hmm. So if you can't properly fund, you know, necessities of what you need, you know, in the business. Now, uh, you know, most entrepreneurs I know have a hustler's mentality. The other part of the people I know, they just doing it because they see other people do it, make it look easy. You know, they're good at something, so they try it. But overall, if you could go... Mm-hmm. And you know, not make money from your business, and don't quit. You on your way to fully understanding what being an entrepreneur is. Mm. Because running your business. Repeat that again. Repeat that again for the people in the back. Like, <laughs> if you could not make money in your business, and by not make money, I mean like not make money. Understand what your profits and losses are, what your red and your black is. If you started out with this much and you end up with this much. If you could not make money in two years in your business, then you are on your way to understanding fully what an entrepreneur is. Like if you don't give up and be like, yo, this is it. Like, I ain't making no money in two years, I'm out. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about just not making money. 
I'm talking about not making money, and then the money that you do have, you're putting into the business and not making money off of that money. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I think really you should phrase it like, if you are comfortable losing money for two years. Yeah, well, you know, I'm trying to be nice. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. you know, just kind of give it to you know how they already gonna be tight about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like people get mad at you because you explain it to them like, yo, look, you're gonna lose money. Most people don't want to take a hit. Mm-hmm. And I get it, but that's a part of knowing what you gotta go through. And then you hear other people's stories of how they fought through that type of adversity, and they think it's their story, mm-hmm. but they haven't gone through it. You know what I'm saying? Like I think I mentioned to you before, like a month ago, about Joe Button, what he said about on his podcast about people working in 95, you know, and calling themselves an entrepreneur. Like, again, however you fund your business, get it. But, and not everybody has to fall on their face, right? Because there are success stories of people who make millions in their first two years. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And they start with $10. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or like a $200 loan. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, like that's the part where you know people sort of you know have to find their own way. Mm-hmm. Because everybody's story ain't your story. Like you could relate to some things, but it is what it is. But making sure that you can get through. Like if you like nobody gonna be okay with losing money. But if you lose money and not lose your damn mind, then you good. Now you understand the the ramifications of you know not making money in the business and what that you know how that stunts your growth, how that causes you to pivot in a lot of cases to sort of come back and regroup and you know what I'm saying. And then there'll be times when you up. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like there'll be cases where now, I can't confirm or deny if this was me or not, but you know one week you down mm-hmm. and it's like yo yo I can't do this I'm about to go back to corporate mm-hmm. sometimes you want to give up and then the next week you want a project where you make eighteen thousand dollars saying for a two-week project mm-hmm. so those are the sort of <laughs> as and flows but you also got to deal with like now that like you ain't up 18k because you still had those expenses that you had prior to getting that, so you got to make sure everything is leveled out, and whatever you left with, you know what I'm saying, you put it back into the business on a positive level, mm-hmm. as opposed to you know dealing with it from the red. Yeah, I so, think I think the major the major hang the major issue I see with people when they come to me for advice, or they hire me, is that exactly what you're saying. I don't think they actually get that concept that. You know, it ebbs and flows to it. Ebbs, it ebbs and flows to life. That's just the the only thing you know that's that's for sure in life is change, right? So it's like, you know, every company goes through their ups and downs. It's just it's, with startups is especially hard because they you don't really because everything is just an idea and it's a dream. So it's like you don't know what you don't know because you don't know it. You know what I'm saying? Like if that makes sense, it's like like. Like the dude, uh, um, Chaney, when he was like the known unknowns, like you don't know the unknowns because it, you just you just don't have the experience 
and the knowledge to know. And you don't even know where the world is coming. Like, for example, like Blockbuster. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I don't know who's going to be listening to this, but some people don't even realize that Blockbuster even existed. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they were slow to adapt to the marketplace. And now we got Netflix. You know what I'm saying? There's no block. They refused to, yeah. Same thing with the music industry. The music industry did the same thing. Yeah. That's a part of what people, like, and I'm sure just like you, I spend a lot of time researching. You know what I'm saying? And, like, going over stuff that I'm not good at. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because for a while, and this is good, too, you're going to have to work in your business. Before you could work on your business. on your business, yeah, that's it. So you know, people don't like that's something else they get twisted too. I guess I could add that to that mm-hmm. is that they don't think that you know, like they try to work on their business before actually working in it. You know what I'm saying? Some people ain't built for it, and I get it. But if you're smart enough to hire the smartest people to help you through that, more power to you, and God bless you because you got the money to do it. Mm-hmm. But overall. Just more about like, hey, I gotta get through this, you know, somehow. I gotta learn how to file my own taxes. You know what I'm saying? I gotta learn how to do my own social media. I gotta learn how to get my own website. I gotta learn how to do, uh, you know, how to get through a basic contract. You know what I'm saying? Like, those are things that you have to sort of run through and learn how to do, like, luckily for me, you know, when I came up in the music industry, when I worked for the management company, we had one of the best lawyers in the game at the mm-hmm. time, and, like, she had all the big talent, and it was because my business partner's girlfriend um, connected us, because mm-hmm. her father was cool with her, and they worked at the same law firm, I think. Okay. Like, oh, y'all need a lawyer? Mm-hmm. I'll ask my father. Like, you know, it was like literally that simple. Mm-hmm. They asked, you know, we met with her. She was like, oh, I like what you guys are doing. I'm going to help you out. Again, you know, you one person removed a lot of times. Yeah. So you just got to put that, that energy out there. Well, part of it, I'm mean, not to cut you off, but the part of it is just even just putting yourself out there to even let people know what you're doing. And I also struggle with that too. Like, I think, I, you know who is great at that, like, promoting themselves, and people going to hate me for saying this, is Donald Trump. Yeah, he's he, Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, love him, hate him, his politics or whatever. You think he erases or whatever. But his marketing. He huh? But he, I said he is those things. Yeah. He's also really smart at knowing what he's good at. Yeah. Donald Trump had gave him some advice mm-hmm. and said, um, and it's not verbatim, like I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it was more like Stephen E. Smith said Trump told him if he goes to a bank and borrows a million dollars and can't pay it back, you've got a problem. Mm-hmm. If you go to the bank and borrow a hundred million dollars, can't pay it back. We've got a problem. Mm. 
so evident with what's going on with where he is now in the presidency. Mm. Is that when people are invested in it, in you, they'll do any and everything possible to protect their investment, which is you. Mm. 